Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial serving the new york metropolitan area today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by kevin wells and i'm going to tell you a little bit about kevin in a second but remember to download the veritas catholic network network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content and wherever you find joe and i on social media facebook youtube uh particularly youtube the frontline tv the frontline tv like subscribe share do all that fun stuff help us out a little bit and uh kevin wells is a Catholic evangelist, author, speaker. Uh, he is a former award-winning sports reporter with the Tampa Tribune uh, when he covered the MLB, that's Major League Baseball, uh, for all you uh, folks out there, and other sports. He is the best-selling author of The Priests We Need to Save the Church, a written plea for holy priests to live like the paragons, martyrs, and great saints before them. His articles have appeared in Crisis Magazine, Catholic Exchange, LifeSite News, and Homiletic and Pastoral Review. He's an active evangelist. He has spoken on a national Catholic stage, including the Legato Summit, Napa Institute, That Man Is You on EWTN, and the Taste Program, as well as hundreds of others, men, other men's and women's conferences, retreats, and events, radio programs, and podcasts. Kevin lives in Maryland with his wife and three children. Kevin Wells, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Joe, I couldn't be happy to be with both of you guys. Thanks for inviting me in. Thank you. So, Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. Excellent. Kevin, we always begin with the prayer because all good things start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name Saint of the Dominic. Father, Son, pray for Amen. Pray for us. Kevin, we're going to jump right into it. I mean, you're in the world. Here you are. You're a writer for Major League Baseball. If you ask me, it doesn't get any better than that if you're a guy, to be honest with you, and you're a writer. Um, you leave it all. You become a full-time evangelist working for the Catholic Church. How does that happen? Yo, are you a Mets fan or Yankees fan? Uh, by blood Mets, but to be truthful with you, I'm not diehard baseball. I watch it. I was, I'm a jet fan, which means I'm a sick man. <laughs> Me too. Did you see, Me what, too. did you see what happened today? They blew it against the Bucks. Oh, they it's blow it constantly. It's just a sickness. It's a sickness. <laughs> Kevin, I, I, I should have just handed you a dagger. All right. <laughs> I, I watched that. I, I was telling my wife, they're really going to lose this game. They're up 14 points, you know, but that's that's the life of a Jet fan. You you got to respect Tom Brady. Kick the field goal. Don't give Brady the ball. I don't care if he doesn't have any timeouts. You know what he's going to do when he did it. 
Oh, so anyway. yeah, it's, it's a combination of the fact that you don't do that for Brady and you are still the New York Jets. So, I mean, <laughs> that's what we have to deal with. But, yeah, so how does that happen? How do you go from, uh, you know, because that's what, like Joe said, you're in the world, you know, you're dealing with, you know, athletes and celebrities and things like that. And now you're a Catholic or then you, you, you became a Catholic evangelist. How does that happen? Well, that's a great question. It's uh it's a long answer. I'm going to try and encapsulate it. Um, so I, I was a baseball player um, and, um, and I also like to write. So it was a goal of mine to one day become really from a young age when I realized the talent level tapped out and I would never be a major league baseball player. Uh, I started to write more and more uh, when I wasn't a college player. So I became a sports writer and it became the goal to become a, a, ba a baseball writer for a major league team or maybe NFL, except for the Jets. No, but I wanted, that was the goal is to be a beat writer for, a. Uh, it didn't matter, NBA, NHL. Uh, I grew up in a family that read newspapers. My dad got four newspapers every morning. I read newspapers and that was, it was sort of a romantic to me. Um, Sadly, they're gone. So after college, um, I couldn't get a job with the Baltimore Sun or Washington Post. I'm from Maryland. So uh, an editor told me, if you, if, you want, if you want us to hire you, you need daily experience. So uh, I ended up in Florida uh, back in 1994. Didn't know anybody um, and, and sort of worked. And I said, well, I got I to gotta somehow um, <laughs> make this happen. So one thing led to another, and Major League Baseball awarded uh, Arizona and Tampa Bay franchises. So I told my editor, look, uh, when they play uh, two years from now on opening day, I, I, I really want to work to be your, your first beat writer. So I worked and worked and worked and actually got that job. So that was in 1998. Uh, sort of a dream and a goal came true. Um, so, so what happened was this, to answer your question, I'll speed it along. Um, in the off season, I met the love of my life who I met in Florida, Krista. Um, Joe and Joe, she's from Italian. She, she's uh, Strollo's her Gaelic, last Gaelic garlic combination, baby. Love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's worked so far. But her family owned the two Italian restaurants in town. It was great. So, um, so we got married in the off season, November of that first uh, Major League Baseball season, the Tampa Bay Rays. So we clinked glasses of Chianti in Tuscany to the family of 10 we were eventually going to have and found out about four or five months later that we could have no kids. God did not bless us that way. Infertility uh, was like a guillotine into our marriage. And it got worse because Krista, who was the youth minister at our parish on the beach in St. Pete Beach, Florida, the priest told my wife, hey, look, as long as embryos aren't put at risk, and as long as your conscience is clear, you can proceed with in vitro fertilization. Eh, no, you cannot proceed with in vitro fertilization. It is impermissible in the church. So the very thing a priest is meant to do, which is take a blue whale-sized cross and unite it with a couple, ask the couple to lay it at the foot of the cross. Instead, he drove a canyon into our marriage because I knew we couldn't do it. I knew we, you know, as much as it was horrible for my wife, we needed to adopt. So we became Hatfield McCoy. So leading the story along one day, um, I said to my wife, honey, th th this is terrible. You know, I'm not meeting you. You're not meeting me. 
so um, we come back to Maryland. We, 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 we pick up this life and go to Maryland. She said, yeah, you know, we got to figure this thing out. So I quit my job, 10-year job as a sports writer, um, quit the baseball job. Krista quit her job riding horses and youth minister. And we took the loneliest I-95 northbound trip ever taken. Um, uh, got out, unpacked everything, including the infertility. And it just got worse. I thought that family and friends, I'm from a large family, would sort of comfort it. But of course, that didn't work. So my uncle was a was a priest, and I wanted to keep my uncle away from Krista. Monsignor Thomas Wells was an absolute power for 29 years in the D.C. area. Line up 100 priests in a row and ask them which one loves the Eucharist the most, which one's Marian, which one dives in the souls, which one leads men into seminaries. Tom Wells, Tom Wells, Tom Wells, Tom. Tom was a power. I grew up in a shadow. He was a holy priest, just a dynamo. But I kept him away from Krista because I knew it was going to be two against one. But one day it was spiraling out of control. She'd cry herself to sleep at night. And I, she didn't want me touching her. I couldn't comfort my own wife. And so we went out to his parish on June 6th, 2000. And he broke open a Catholic omnibus on redemptive suffering. Uh, said, look, you guys are in a cave. Everyone's getting pregnant. Your sisters are pregnant, cousins, neighbors. Uh, but you can't do anything. And you're the luckiest people on the face of the earth. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Are you nuts? You know, we, we want 10 kids. This is, you know, it's, why are you being cruel? My wife's got the waterworks coming down. And, and then he broke open. Hey, listen, man, God just invited you into the most intimate friendship that you can have if you trust him with this cross, with his agony. So he didn't soften the grounds. He asked us to walk it like a saint. You know, it's it stinks. It's horrible. God put this strange cross in your life of infertility. I don't care. You do it his way. So we, so we were there for hours. And, and I didn't know how my wife was taken and she was crying. So anyway, um, drove home. Didn't say a word to my wife. I didn't know where she was going. Two days later, my uncle was stabbed to death in that same rec room. Um, there's no words. If you don't, if, if listeners out there on the Joe on the front line, if you don't believe Satan's an active participant with holy priest, he is. Um, in the aftermath of my uncle's murder, um, I began to think more and more about the holy Catholic priest because before he died, the last thing he did was he wrote a letter that appeared five days later in the bulletin that was on the cross of infertility. And no one understood why he wrote it, but Krista and I did. And it was her blueprint to say, look me in the eye and say, you know what, what he said made sense. Um, we're gonna adopt. So I thought more and more about the power of priests. Um, now, <laughs> it's hard to get into the next part of the story but I had an aneurysm nine years later where I came this close to dying. I should have died. I had brain surgery that didn't work. Uh, nine hours. They went in there to try and embolize the blood that was drowning my brain. Didn't work. Uh, my uncle Monsignor Wells' best friend, Father Jim Stack, came into my ICU room. Um, I was incapacitated from the surgery. I was dead to the world. Um, this was the day that I was supposed to die. Um, and... Uh, if he was on this podcast right now, looking at you guys, he would tell you that he came up to my bedside and knelt down and he said, Kevin, we've been, uh, he, he brought his healing assistant with him. He had a, he had a healing, he had just started a healing ministry. He was a very reluctant 
healing priest. Felt very clumsy doing it. The guy's an old boxer and weightlifter as a priest. He didn't want it, but he said, you know, God put this in me. I got to do it. So he knelt down on my bedside and he said, I've been praying a rosary on the way up here from DC. Uh, just pray the divine chaplet. Who can we have pray for you now? And I said, bring my uncle down. I opened my eyes. First words of the day, bring my uncle down. So he went to the foot of the bed and started calling my uncle, his best friend, my uncle. Hey, hey, Tommy, buddy, your nephew Keggy just asked you to save his life. If you don't do it, he's going to die. Save his life. And thereafter, the room, if he was looking at you now, and his assistant was looking at you now, the room, this dark, cold, antiseptic, neuro ICU room, light started to sort of pop all around the room, and the temperature changed into a warmth, almost like where you sit in front of a fireplace. And he said, Kevin, I knew I was standing in the center of something supernatural, but I knew it was a miracle when I saw the heavenly court around your bed and your uncle was standing next to you and he was smiling. And I said, I knew your wife, Krista, said the surgery didn't take and the blood was doing all this to your head, but I knew you were healed. And the next day I was, everything was gone. The it, the AV arterial venous malformation they couldn't get they couldn't get to because it was too deep, gone, blood gone, fluids gone. Um, and in the aftermath of uh, what I'll call a miracle, I don't. I, by the way, I grew up in a family that didn't talk about miracles. I'm I'm not comfortable talking about miracles. But in the aftermath of brain surgery, you're stuck. You can't get out of bed for many months. Um, I went back to my old writing life. And I started to write about God's graces that come when you're sent to the ground um, and God's healing power. And that's when I began to think about the healing power of a priest, one dead in heaven and one here by my bedside and the anointing hands that can save you. So in the aftermath of the book that came out, it was called Burst, the Story of God's Grace When Life Falls Apart, um, I began to speak. So the old washed up sports writer all of a sudden transitioned to a Catholic writer. So it was good to cover... Uh, Derek Jeter and all those guys, Cal Ripken, but but I prefer talking about the Holy Trinity and St. Therese of Lisieux, et cetera. Did you ever think about like uh, putting your uncle up for like, you know, like a cause? Because that's like a legit miracle. I mean, you know, Joe, that is as legit as it gets, to be honest. Joe, with I, Joe I've been asked that countless hundreds of times. Uh, there's been letters written. There's been other people that have said, I too have a miracle that I want to claim on your uncle's behalf. Uh, my dad was my uncle's brother. So way back when, 10 years ago, I said, hey, dad, what do you think? I keep getting these calls. What do you think we should do here? Uh, he said, don't, no, because Tommy wouldn't want him. I'm like, oh, dad, I don't care if Tommy won or not. He's dead. And, and he did this for us. It would inspire others. So my dad to this day says, you know, we're not going to do it. Now, the other thing is the practical side. One, Tommy couldn't care less if he was a saint or not. Number two, a lot of stinking money, a lot of stinking money and legwork. So you got to find somebody that has the time and the money and is willing to endure all the. I get it. All the paperwork. So so that's kind of where it is. But it's a it's a it's a genuine question. I think that what happened to me was a miracle. I think he should be a saint, but I'm not the one who's going to start the process. So you're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe Joe Pasillo. Joe Resinello being joined by Kevin Wells, Catholic, um, not apologist, but evangelist, excuse me, author. Um, and uh, Kevin, that's such an amazing story. I just want to say uh, Joe Resinello has five kids, just had his fifth. 
Um, Matt, I, I, he doesn't like when I do this, but I kind of pat him on the back because Joe and I both married late in life. We married sisters. Okay. Um, and Joe started having kids at 42 years old. Joe's 50 and has five, just had Maria fifth child. Okay. Um, and, and open to life, living the Catholic faith. Well, you said, um, I re resonated with me a little bit more because my wife and I went through the same thing that you described. Um, we, we, we could have done the IVF. Okay. And we both said, can't do it. We're going to listen to the church. Um, there's a young man who's in the room adjacent to the one I'm speaking in now, who's our foster son, who in the next few months is going to be our adopted son. Um, and I would recommend that for any, any faithful Catholic out there. It's, it's a, it's a wonderfully satisfying thing. As you said, God gives you the crosses that he does when he does and you embrace it. The reward is, is unbelievable. You know, and 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 that's what we're experiencing, and I know that's what what you did. So, I for on a personal level, you know, Amen, brother, a Amen. It's it's a great witness. Yeah, thank you, Joe. You know the deal. When when you're changing diapers in, at three a.m. and you're and you're and you're uh, taking your kid to a football game two hours across, he adopted. You know, out of my <laughs> wife's womb. You know, you don't you don't you forget all. I don't even you know you know what it's like. You don't even think about it. No, you but I'll tell you, I liked what you said about like the in vitro because a lot of people cave under those situations like it, it, it's hard like because you get pressure from your family you get pressure from all sides and it's trusting in the wisdom of the church there and 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 frankly there is such wisdom there and sometimes we just don't see past our own suffering I, it reminds me of like like padre pio you know like padre pio they took away his faculties he trusted and God defended him. Ten years later, all, you know, accusations cleared. He, you know, goes forward. He's a saint. It's just about that trust, trusting in the wisdom of the church. And uh, to be honest with you, that's easier said than done sometimes. Well, well, Joe, yeah, you, you nailed it. Um, I, I draw the analogy to the same sex attracted that have decided to um, oblige their desires. So, so just as Krista would have cut off her right arm to feel the baby in her womb, this woman who wanted 10 children with that ferocious maternal drive to have a child in her womb, you know, and me off to the side, like, man, I want you to have it too. Well, the same sex attracted, I'm attracted to someone of my own sex. And everything in, inside me desires this relationship, this friendship, this intimacy. Well, as you said, Joe, the wisdom of the church, the church doctors, all point to this. Unless you have an identification with the crucified Christ who gave up everything, all comforts, he annihilated all desires because he knew he needed to suffer to save us, for, to redeem all of humanity, then I'm not getting it done. I need to amputate. I need to annihilate all these fleshly desires. They're all understandable. IVF, a homosexual relationship, all this stuff is understandable. But reason trumps will. I know nowadays, all these years later, now will, our emotions, trumps reason. Screw reason. I don't care about reason. I just want to do what I want to do because I because I love this man or because I want babies in my wife's womb. The fact is, you look at Jesus on the cross and say, no, no, no. I, I, I need to do it his way, and it demands a sacrifice maybe every single day for the rest of my life. You know, that is so true, and I mean, I could 
speak to my own like walk. I mean, I came to that point and I believe in the church much more than I believe in me because I know my way doesn't work because I tried it. You see, that's another way, like because some people, because it is irrational to, to follow God. To, to follow God, you're a fool in the eyes of the world. Let's be honest. I mean, people say, you know, when you do, you know, when you have 10 kids, when you have eight kids, when you, you quit your job to, 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 to follow God, I mean, or even, to, you know, Joe and I, you know, we say a lot of things on the radio, uh, we could lose our job, you know, like where people say like, you're crazy. Well, yes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying in a way, but you trust in God because again, I don't trust myself. My way doesn't work. People have to come to that. You know, like when you when in circles, you talk about contraception, you could talk about like being open to life, like or or embracing the teachings of the church that are so fundamentally against the world. People say you're crazy. Well, no, you're playing the long game. Talk about that, because I think it's easier said like you're you know, I'll be honest with you, your fa my family was Catholic too, but not in the way that yours was. I came to my place through suffering, to be honest with you. And then I just said, this doesn't work. I'm going in another way. And then through prayer, it deepened and I got to know who God is. And then it just, you know, I'm still going, you know, I'm not there yet, but talk about that. Cause I think that's hard for people when you say some of these things, especially worldly people, listen, you're a successful guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, and Joe and I, you know, we do okay too, you know? So like, it, it, like we have choices. It's not like we're in a hut in Paraguay. You know what I'm saying? Like it's hard for people to digest that. I think that's important to discuss. Yeah. Everything comes down to a choice. You just use the word. Everything comes down to a choice. So you're either going to take the one hand is, okay, this choice has a cost. I'm going to suffer because of it. The church says it, or maybe my mind reason says it. Aquinas said it, Augustine, even before Christ, Socrates, Plato, Augustine, they are, uh, uh, whoever, they, 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 yeah, they knew they knew there was an ordering to things. So they had to oblige the order, the natural law. And the other side of the choice is I oblige myself. So you mentioned saints and you mentioned the Joe and Joe. Sometimes you say things that might get you thrown off the air and, and you're crazy. You, you see the word crazy. Well, every saint who ever lived was crazy, but, or maybe a different way to look at it. Every saint was a radical. Nobody, they did not make sense to anybody because they went, they were salmon going the wrong way. So, so Joe and Joe and, and these choices, SSA, in vitro, whatever it might be, the fact is there's an ordering that God built into us, but it's so weighed down by the world, by sense phenomena, by everything that you just disregard it. But that pinhole of hope is the ordering that God stuck into us. So it simply must be obliged. I think that's why it's important for, for men like us to get out there in the culture, engage in the culture war, because these are the things I think Kevin Wells is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. These are the things that people need to hear. I think you're exactly right, Kevin. People get so 
bogged down in the lie and the delusion and the darkness, okay, that they don't see what you just said. So let's take, for argument's sake, the, um, the, uh, the same-sex attracted, okay, or the woman who's had a number of abortions, okay, or anything, as you mentioned, about the natural law, anything that violates the natural law. You don't need the church. You don't need Joe and Joe. You don't need Kevin Wells to tell you what you did was wrong. You know it because the law is written in your heart. But it is important because of the way the culture is and people aren't hearing what they need to hear that guys like us get out there in the culture and proclaim this truth to, to, so that people say, well, you know, take in vitro, perfect example. Do you know how many, how many people we've come across? Because sometimes we could sound a little judgmental and we don't want to do that. We know many people who've, who've had in vitro, who've, who've done in vitro, okay? And I will tell you, Kev, I would say nine out of 10 times, the person my wife is talking to says, I didn't know that the church taught against that. Sometimes people just don't know. And that's why we got to get out there and we have to be very bold in proclaiming the truth on all these things. Well, well, of course, um, uh, you know, the, one of the great sadnesses. So you're right, Joe, in vitro, many Catholics don't know because it's just, it's kind of one of those uh, peripheral uh, issues in the church. But one of the great sadnesses is, is why people aren't bold. Like, for instance, there's a lot of Joe and Joes out there with your same zeal and spirit, but they don't step into the breach or they don't show that boldness in the public square because um, we'll just stick with SSA since we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, right away, when you try and uh, unpack, um, uh, you know, sort of God's natural laws and, and the complementarity of the sexes. So we know, oh, well, Joe, you're homophobic. Joe, you're, you hate people. But the fact is, Joe would take a bullet for a gay person. Joe would have a, a, a gay couple come into his house and have dinner. It, there's no judgments. It's you love them, but because societally we've been pigeonholed as haters, just the, the worst mm -hmm. on the earth. So, so millions and countless millions of Catholics feel like Joe and Joe do, but they don't take it to the public square because they're tepid, they're flat-footed, they're hesitant because the world they know will crush them. So you're right, Joe. You said it. If we lack that apostolic joy that the post-Pentecost apostles had, 52 AD, I don't care, make me a Roman candle. I saw what I saw when he rose from the dead. I saw him walk on water. I saw it all. Take my head off. I, that's the way we need to be now because we have, we have no allies. Those apostles, they had no allies. All they had was themselves and the Holy Spirit they received at Pentecost. Well, you, 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 Absolutely. one of the themes that you speak on, uh, and I like it, you call it full-bodied uh, Catholicism. And that is something, because I embrace what the church teaches as it's written, because it's from the church. And, and again, I think you're right. People, including clergy, um, are afraid for a number of reasons. Um, to be honest with you, I'm afraid if I don't. I'm afraid mostly for me to be truthful with you in a selfish way, uh, because again, my way doesn't work. But I think ultimately people want to be invited to the barbecue, Kevin. Like when you follow God in a radical way, you're not getting invited to the barbecue on in many parties. Joe, I'm not getting those ribs, Joe. No, I'm just talking <laughs> not, about me. Like, they're, they're like not, people, no, no, they're not letting any of us in. <laughs> I mean, like, like it just comes down to that. Friends, like you become odd. Like, 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 and this is what I think, because there's something innate in humans that we want to belong. 
You see, there's nothing about God. You put it perfectly. You said we're salmon going in the, the wrong direction. You see, that's one of the things that people don't want. And 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 that, that what what does scripture say? Like the stones would cry out like the word of God if we didn't say it. When you meet the Lord, you don't come out the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so then you have to go in a different direction and there is going to be ostracization. There's suffering that's, that's involved in that. And people don't want anything. They don't want that. Like, keep that away from me. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> you know, I think talk a little bit about that theme full body. I like, I love it. Actually. I love the way it's phrased. Kevin, I'm sure you're going to go on a little bit about this. Keep in mind, we got about a minute for the break, and then we're definitely going to come back to that immediately right after the break. Uh, I'll just be, I'll be quick. Um, I think because the world is so hard charging in its truculence against anything that is ordered, right, true, and sacred, if we're not going to do the reverse in a full-bodied, zealous way, then we're failures. We're, we're like tepid, lukewarm Catholics. We're, we're, we know what Revelation 3.16 is. Since you're neither warm, hot nor cold, I will vomit you out. It's, all this stuff is scriptural. Jesus said, you deny my father, he's going to deny you. Joe, you. Joe, you said it a minute ago. You said, I don't trust myself, man. I fear if I don't do it. So, so one, the last thing I'll say before we go to break is mm -hmm. I think what's really crushed our church more than anything else prelates, hierarchy, priest, is a feminacy the way that Aquinas defined it. When men should step in and stiffen when something is not right, instead they soften. And why do they soften? One word, because it takes away their comfort. That's the problem. We we're going to we're going to come right back to that, Kevin. That's a big theme for Joe and I at the front line with Joe and Joe. We want to talk about this this need to detach ourselves as best we could, and the need to do that. So let's um, let's take a break for a minute. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Casillo, Joe Rosinello. Kevin Wells is joining joining us. Catholic author. Um, he's written a number of books. Uh, Kevin, the priest we need to save the church and others. And we're going to talk about some of his books when we come back. So don't go anywhere. We're on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We'll be right back. Hey, listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app.
Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. And we are way in the breach with Kevin Wells, a Catholic author and speaker who has written in Crisis Magazine, Catholic Exchange, LifeSite News, has written a number of books. We're having a fascinating conversation. Kevin, let's pick it right back up where we were. Comfort. Big, big word at the front line with Joe and Joe. Okay, we talk about Americanism, this idea that, you know, prosperity, which is a good thing. God doesn't want us to suffer. Okay, we might be called to suffer. He doesn't want us to suffer. However, um, we, we've grown too attached in this country to um, to comfort. We, we, we don't do it. We don't. Joe and I say, you want to look at martyrs and people that are dying, Christians across the world that are dying for Jesus Christ. Okay, we won't give up Netflix. That, that's that's our that's our comparisons like they die they're burned in cages we won't we have a hard time giving up hbo and netflix talk please to our audience at the veritas catholic network about the need to detach ourselves from this comfort we've seen seemingly become addicted to very good um why don't we set it up this way um so i'm an old sports writer and and sometimes i like to just put little images in front of uh, in front of folks um so so the joe namath of all bishops, in my opinion, right now in this day and age that counteracts comfort is Bishop Joseph Strickland. So let me explain a little story. Uh, two years ago, uh, the priest we need to save the church had come out and it got out there pretty good. And Bishop Strickland got in touch with me and I went down and he said, come on down to Texas. So we we met and, um, and we got into it. We were having lunch together, had a great conversation. And he said something, he said, um, this was, this was two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, before he was really that well-known. He said, you know, Kevin, when I became bishop uh, seven or eight years ago, somebody came up to me and they said, hey, you're, hey, Bishop, you're like a tall, cold glass of water. You know, you're refreshing for Tyler, Texas. And, and Bishop Chuck said, yeah, you know, I, I felt good about that. And then somebody, a couple years later, gave him a book on the Eucharist. So he began to read it and realized I need to find Christ in the holy hour. So he committed himself ferociously to holy hours. And it was during these holy hours, I would say around 2016, 17, where Mary, not Jesus, Mary came to him and said, Joe, I'm calling you to be a martyr now for the church. <clears throat> and I'm like, you know, what do you, Bishop Strickland, what do you, what do you mean? You white martyr, red martyr, something in between with it? Now, Kevin, I, Mary's calling me to die for the, what do you mean die, Bishop Strickland? Your, your, your eminence, what do you, she, she, she wants me to die, become a martyr for the church that is suffering. Since he said those words, <clears throat> he comes out and names James Martin as a blasphemer by name. You cannot be a Democrat and a Catholic. He comes out against the vaccine. He comes out against things that nobody touches. And he has zero comfort. But I tell you what, I also think inversely, he's the most, he has more peace than any bishop in the United States of America, maybe the world, because he has become the slaughtered lamb. He is Isaiah 53. I am the suffering servant. I will speak prophetically because... He gathers from the holy hour. He gathers from Mary. He gathers from meditation. He gathers from scripture. It's not just piping off. Oh, I'm Joe Strickland. I'm going to tell you my thoughts. He gathers from prayer. So he's uncomfortable, 
but man, does he have peace. Everything comes from prayer. And, and that is, uh, that was a, a sheen deal. He did the holy hour every day. That's the formula for sainthood to be truthful with you is to get in front of the blessed sacrament. And again, talking about comfort, and I want to go back to your family, you came from a family of eight, there, you know, that could be uncomfortable. You know, because I could look to my, I don't have eight kids, I have five, but I don't have a big house. So I mean, like, it's uncomfortable, we have to share things, you learn things in a house like that. It's a school. It's a school of there's one television, and this one's watching this, the other one's not getting it. There's one computer, there's one, you know, like this, there's one that. That's learned at a young age. Also, men aren't born to be comfortable. We're born to be great, and God is great, but we're not. You see, we have to surrender ourselves, and then we will be great. See, this man is the priest we need, and I want everyone to go buy Kevin's book. He has a book out. It's the priest we need to save the church. Very important. I want to talk about that because we're lacking that in the church. I mean, I could speak for my diocese. Sadly, you have to shop around to go from, like some churches, to be truthful, you're in left field. Like, I hate to say that, and I don't mean, like, not that I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, St. Joseph, but but they're in left field. That shouldn't be the case. We talk a little bit about that book, because I think it's stuff that people have to hear. Because, listen, Catholicism's painting by numbers. Pray your rosary, go to confession, receive the Eucharist in the state of grace, pray, do your office. You'll, it's all there. Why isn't it happening? Let's talk about that because it's not like, let's be real. It's just not. Yeah. Clergy have re-engineered the burden of their identity. Clergy have re-engineered the burden of their identity, which I go back to it is Isaiah 53. I am the slaughtered lamb. You are my flock. You are my parish. All I care about is one thing, getting every single soul at St. Pius X, Sacred Heart, St. Teresa of Avila Parish, getting all your souls to heaven. So put your seatbelts on because I'm your spiritual father. I'm going to often proclaim things that are indelicate. I am going to, um, every day if I have to, make myself available before and after daily mass in the confessional. I am going to urge, urge a family holy hour. I'm going to urge a daily rosary from your family. I'm going to keep coming like Vince Lombardi with his Packers in the first Super Bowl. I'm going to keep coming because I want you to be great. Now, I'm going to make some enemies maybe. I don't care. I don't care. I my, The burden of my identity is two things. One, because I'm a priest, I have to administer the sacraments. That's what I do. But far more importantly, it's to get you to heaven. So priests are living comfortably. They're living effeminately. They don't step in. The world is crushing them. Now, obviously, I'm, th I'm talking broadly. I'm from a family of priests. I, I have many, many, many close friends who are holy priests. I, I think oh, they're there. I don't, no question about it. I don't want to make that broad stick, but I'm just saying, but also on the, there's other nonsense going on too. You got to be called like it is. Well, well, the, the, the greatest sadness is that, um, so we, we could, I mean, this could be five podcasts, but, but when they lock the doors worldwide at the first sniff of the pandemic, they sort of put their hand up in the air and they said, we always said it was the source and summit, the Eucharist. You know what? It's not. 
It's not. They've lost a two, two or three generations of Catholics because they locked the doors. Even to this day, mask or you don't come to mask. Get a vaccine, you don't come to mask. Whatever it is, the supernatural identity understanding that Jesus Christ is invisible. Sacramental graces work within us. We have no fear. Matter of fact, get COVID, die. It doesn't matter if you're in a state of grace. Krista, Krista will figure out the three kids. Krista dies. Kevin will figure out the three kids. Stay in a state of grace. Keep coming to me in the Eucharist. Keep coming to me. Stay in prayer. Stay close to my mother. We don't hear this. We hear this very infrequently. So, Joe, what do we do? Last thing I'll say, what do we do? We travel. Everyone watching this podcast, if you're at a parish right now where you're not being lifted into a liturgically beautiful mass, or you sense for a millisecond that your pastor does not care for your soul, get out. I don't care if you've been there 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I don't care if it's a family heirloom parish. Get out and spend Joe Joe Biden's gas money and drive an hour away and go to a parish that you know cares for your soul. If you're not doing that as Catholics, then you're fools because our world is too strong right now and we need to be equipped. (laughs) We need to be lifted into something so beautiful so we can step into this world joy-filled. You know, right now we're getting pretty brass tacks, trench work talk, but we need to go into the world with joy. And we have joy when we know we have a spiritual father, a shepherd. I want to talk a little bit about Strickland for a second, because he said something at one of the bishops' conferences that struck me. It's something that I say constantly. He said, do we actually believe this stuff that we write? And I say this all the time. I swear. I taught RCIA, Kevin, and they threw me out because I taught it from the catechism, from the catechism. Joe, I actually left RCIA, but I think they were very close to throwing me out. Well, there you go. (laughs) And my point is this, Strickland said, do we actually believe this? This is my statement. I'm a compliance officer by trade. I believe in the written word. If it's written down, you do it. Stop writing it down. If you, I don't want to see another memo on a website. I don't want to see another letter because you're not even listening to them. It's it's like, listen, I didn't go to the Gregorian, but I know how to read. And I read these things. You read the, the Bishop's statement from 1998 on abortion. They wrote it. They wrote it. They basically said, and please, if I'm wrong, God forgive me. I believe it was stated that if you support a politician that is pro- death it's a sin you can't vote for him i think that's written in there i if i'm wrong joe please or somebody out there correct me you wrote it and then you have a third of the bishops saying it's not like a preeminent issue i don't get it i don't get it i'm gonna be honest with you maybe i'm an idiot but like i do know how to read and like you're not even following your own written word and you wrote it yeah, well, well, Joe, I, I, actually, I think if you thought about it, you would get it uh, because I don't know if many believe anymore. Um, and I'll just say it. I don't know if many, I shouldn't say many, quite a few in the hierarchy and in the clergy. It seems to me that they're Gnostic priests. So what's a Gnostic? They, they thread in things that are untrue with things that are true, and it looks pretty. I think we have a Gnostic Catholic Church that is building. It's a re-engineering of what we've always known, that saints and mystics and church doctors and martyrs, they stood on shoulders and gave us this deposit of faith, 
hey, it's yours in 2022. Well, it's changed. There, it, there's a, there's a, I, I believe this is just Kevin Wells on his microscopic soapbox. I believe there's an active attempt to re-engineer what our church is. Now, um, it, you say, you said 98, I think Pope Benedict, let's just call it for what it is, gave McCarrick, Mr. McCarrick, uh, I, I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, um, uh, a message that said, look, uh, in, in 2000, and I don't know when it was, uh, six or seven, you will not, you will not give uh, the you will not give the Eucharist to someone who's in public display of sin. Talking about abortion, well, that was trashed. He hid that. It was all hidden, so it just was allowed to keep going forward. But anyway, more to the point, wh- where I am, Joe, is is I've stopped asking questions like why, why, why. I, I think I know the answer. My greatest sadness, and this this is true, everywhere I go, I do a little bit of talking. Everywhere I go, any state I go to. I hear the same stinking rotten mantra, and it is the worst thing that you can hear. So you give a Catholic talk, you're going to get some people that, that that really love the faith. Mom and dad come up to a table after the talk, and if I've heard this 100 times, I've heard it 500 times. It's the same thing plays out. Mom sits down, tears are welling. Dad's right next to him. Mom says, I've lost the kids. we got three kids. They're all gone. Dad sticks his arm around mom's back. Mom starts to cry. Dad puts his head down on the ground like this. And they say, what do we do? Multi-millions of Catholics, teenagers, college-age kids, post-college are leaving the Catholic church, which is becoming a ghost church. Why is becoming a ghost church? Because they do not see Bishop Strickland. They do not see my uncle Monsignor Thomas Wells. They do not see John Vianney. They do not see somebody who cares for their soul more than anything in the world. So they say, kids are smart. It's it's fake. They really don't care. They lock the doors. Did they really care about the Eucharist? Did they find creative ways to do it? No, they didn't. So so I I um my sadness now is how do we how do we get these kids that are cheap right now? You know, maybe parents aren't catechized, their pastor's talking about immigration or social justice, something that's just flimsy or it's not, there's nothing that's penetrating. How do we take these kids? How do we save these kids and keep them in the church? That's kind of where my head's been lately. I don't, I don't know if you guys see this in your travels. Well, well, well I, yeah, I, I mean, Joe. yeah, when it comes to uh, the younger people, um, I mean, it's all over the place on YouTube. You mentioned them earlier. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. Father James Martin is much more widely known, infinitely more widely known than, than Bishop Strickland. That's the way it is. Um, it's only guys like us because we go on certain websites. We follow certain people. Um, we, we, we value their opinion. We, we know that um, because we had Father Imbarato on the front line with Joe and Joe, Father Imbarato went down to the Bishop's Conference in Maryland. And he said, he mentioned three Josephs, so I forgot one of them, but Bishop Joseph Coffey and Bishop Joseph Strickland joined uh, Father Stephen Joseph Imbarato across from the conference to pray the rosary. That's a statement, Kevin. Kevin Wells joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. That's a statement because there should have been hundreds of bishops (laughs) over there praying the rosary. I mean, and that's where we are. And, and when you open your mouth, they say, well, what are you, some kind of trad? No, I'm Catholic, man. And what Joe always says on the show, Kevin, I love your, I love your uh, thoughts on this. 
we have the we are we are humble enough. I'm not humble enough, okay? But what I always say is we have enough humility to know that we're supposed to be listening to these men. They are our shepherds and they're letting us down. That's not an attack on the bishops or the hierarchy. That's not. That is a a plea to say we need you. We need you to step up. The wolves are ravaging us. They're 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 killing us. They're as you said about young people, Kevin. All right. You need to step up. And when we say that, they call us all sorts of names. I'd love your comments yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, Joe, Joe, I'm gonna go back to comfort. You guys, it sounds like you talked about comfort a lot. And just think about this for a minute. So the vast majority of bishops just in the United States live in chanceries that are in the upwards of a million dollars. I know in Baltimore it's post is more than a million. DC it's well over a million dollars. So um there's cachet. There, there really are chauffeurs and drivers. There's chefs. There's all of these accoutrements for the bishop. I'm not there to judge that. I'm whatever. It is what it is. But think of it logically. What happens when you live in a 1.5 million dollar chancery? You're eating three, four course meals every night's good. You're being driven around. Um, you have that cachet. You can kind of do whatever you want. What happens? When James Martin comes to your diocese and, and he's going to say something about whatever, that bishop in his head might say, you know what? I don't like this book I read. I don't want her what he said. I, I want to, I, you know what? He shouldn't be here. But when you're comfortable, <laughs> you don't want to step into the breach because you've lost your edge. It's the football player who doesn't do off-season training. It's the baseball player who doesn't go to spring training. He's lost his edge. He doesn't have it in him. So James Martin comes, and he just spreads it. He spreads it. So until – it's like it's like um, who was the famous saint that sheared half of his cape and gave it to the beggar? Uh, Martin – Martin uh, St. Martin poor, Pours. Not, not the Pours. Uh, I know what you um, – I know what you mean. He was on his uh, horse, and he took half of his yeah. uh, cloak. I know. Uh, so Saint Martin. Yeah, yeah. There. So my, Martin of Tours. So here's here here here's my here's my deal. Until bishops worldwide, but we'll just stick with the United States, begin to shear half of their comforts, live in a more modest setting, take your salary, whatever it is, one twenty a year, make it forty a year, make it forty a year, whatever. Take your meals and say, you know what? I'm going to start to cook my meals. I'm going to start to drop it. Until they do this and lose their comfort, America will continue to die because they don't have the edge that Peter had. They don't have the edge that all those first popes did. I think the first 29 were martyred, something like that. Until they live more like Christ, the starved man on the cross, who had no place to lay his head, who went to the poor because he favored the poor, like John the Baptist in the Judean wilderness, who had no comforts until they live like the real McCoy, it ain't happening. It's it, you. I'm so glad you guys center on comfort. It's and again, we'll go back to that word choice. It's all about a choice. What's my choice? Will I live like John the Baptist? Will I live like Jesus Christ, who had no place to live? No, I won't because I will lose my comfort and I will become effeminate. I'm going to choose effeminacy. And James Martin comes in and all the heretics come in and all that. And it just goes on and on and on because they're not being stopped. I, I think it's that simple. I know it's multi-layered and there's so much to it, but until we all as families, as a dad, if I'm living comfortably, I'm a clown show. My dad's going to look, 
like for instance, if my daughter, she's home for college break, if she wants to go out tonight, meet friends, and she's dressed promiscuously, and I don't say, girl, get back in your back room and put some clothes on that is appropriate, then I'm a bachelor. I'm not a dad. If my son misses curfew tonight, watches the Ravens game and comes home at two in the morning, I'd say, I told you it was 12 o'clock when you come back. And I don't wait up for him. And I don't get in his face and grab his face, Mac, and say, come on, man, what's going on? Dad told you, then I'm a bachelor. I'm comfortable. But if they see a dad who's in their grill, then yeah, dad means business. And you know what? I should have listened to dad. It's the same thing with bishops. Fathers must step in and act like men. You know what it is? We have to be willing to lose everything. You see, Christ, you see, it comes down to that. I'll, I'll just use it on our little show here. You know, like, I can get fired from my job. It's that simple. And God works in that sacrifice. You see, we're not entering in that realm. Christ lived in that realm. We got to get in that realm where if you take whatever I have, then take it. Like, like we're not willing to do that. And, and God works as much as you give them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to kind of like enter into that space. We're not entering into that space. And I want to talk about somebody who means a lot to you because you've written a book about him, Priest Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. I, uh, Schwartz. I didn't know who that was, actually. Um, tell us a little bit about him because you said this in the book, and I want to quote it. He was a different kind of American hero, an ordinary priest who stared down corruption, slander, persecution, and death for the sake of Christ's poor. Talk about that because that attracts people, not golden cufflinks. Father Al Schwartz was one of the most astonishing Americans uh, to be born in this country. Forget, forget the fact that he was a priest. Um, I mean, put him, put him in the same lines with Abe Lincoln, Jackie Robinson, George Washington. He, he was an astonishing man. What he did uh, couldn't have been done outside the finger of God. He, um, he raised his hand in 57 and said to his rector, send me to the worst place in the world. Rector's like, what are you talking about, man? Was it New Jersey? <laughs> I was just going to say, did he tell me he was going to send them to Newark, New Jersey? Go ahead. And we're from Newark, Kevin. That's why we say that. Go ahead. I'm uh, sorry. Is that exit seven? So, so, uh, so he just, seminarian, he said, I want the word. So, well, the war in Korea just ended. So he ended up in Korea, didn't know the language. He wanted to be Jesus Christ, the poor man, the starved man of Nazareth. He wanted to live. Joe, as you mentioned, he wanted to step in past that periphery, live poor, serve poor, and become poor. So he goes to Korea, and he sees a dystopian novel. Tens of thousands, well, over a million died in the war. He sees thousands of orphans in the street dying. Lep, get this, lepers rubbing their diseased limbs off people to steal their money. Tuberculosis was a big thing. Every day, hundreds were dying in the streets of tuberculosis. Unwed mothers living down underneath bridges that were impregnated by American servicemen. And he gets in here, gets off on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception in 2000, or 1957, and he says, Mary, he's, you know, he breathes in the stench and the rot and the human decay and the human waste and the dead animals. He said, Mary, this is the incense of my new home. I thank you. I asked for poverty and you brought me here. And then one by one by one, he began to act like Atlas and put these broken, humiliated people on his back and say, you have dignity and I will lead you to Christ. And he started 
to build um, seven-story high hospitals, tuberculariums, leprosoriums, boys' towns, girls' towns. Within 10 years, all of South Korea had been resurrected, did the same in the Philippines. And then at the end of his life, when he had ALS, he did it in Mexico. Over 170,000 of the poorest, most abused and bullied kids in the world have been brought into these authentically Catholic boys' towns and girls' towns. To this day, today, there's 21,000 in seven different countries throughout the world. So when I learned about this guy, Al Schwartz, by the way, the reason no one knows him, he prayed not to be known. So Mother Teresa knew him really well. They ran in the same circles, but he was too busy. So he prayed not to be known. When I found out about him, um, I said, this guy is the flesh on the bones of the priest we need to save the church. So what happens is when you bring in this money from donors, millions of dollars to save the poor, <laughs> everyone went after him. American bishops called, wrote a letter to the Pope, tell this Korean priest from America to stop being a wild wildcat. He's taking our money. Father Al went to Rome and, and won that fight. His own bishop in Korea started to steal the money. The Korean bishop was thrown out. His own bishop, uh, nearby priest, began to calumniate him. Those priests were removed. A mafia kingpin wanted to kill him, <laughs> made several attempts, couldn't be killed. Father Al said, who consecrated his entire priesthood to Mary, Our Lady of Benoit at her apparition site in Belgium, where he went to seminary in Louvain, he said, Mary, I am your slave. You protect me. You carry the whip hand. I go, and I don't stop. So, Mafia Kingpin, American bishops, whoever, keep coming. I will pass right through you. Because he had he had the understanding of that burden of identity that I we talked about earlier. I will go and save the least of these and bring them to Christ. And and um, I, I a priest is ordained to save souls. Father Al saved generations of souls. Millions of people were saved by this one man, this one American priest that said, "I will go to the least of these and I will save them." What's What's interesting about that is just it's just today when um, I was giving that lesson because my wife and I started to read with our our son, soon to be a legal son, uh, William started to read um sister faust uh sister faustina from the sisters of life wrote a book jesus i trust in you she told a similar story about father solanus casey in other words a guy who just nobody expected much from him whatever the case might be and just how tens of thousands of people from just this simple guy doing nothing but serving christ poor that's all he did and then he and then his at his mass in Detroit, they filled up the stadium in Detroit more than the Detroit Lions can. Okay. But a mass for this unknown priest, how the this 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 the simplest person can affect so wide a group of people is is amazing when you allow God to do it. Kevin Wells joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, we have about I want to say a minute and a half. Um, I want you to give, if you would, our audience some parting thoughts. Maybe you want to give to them. Please tell them about your books, where they could find them, and more importantly, where they could find you. Uh, Kevin, we could go on for hours. We're going to have you back on the show. That's a no-brainer, okay? We had we sent you a bunch of questions we were going to talk about. I think we got to two, okay? Because uh, that's just the way things roll here at the front line. But please, tell our audience where they can find you, where they can buy your books, and maybe some parting thoughts. Yeah, Joe and Joe, thank thank you for having me on. You're you're the kind of show that I want to be on. I um, 
I wish you guys were on 630 News on uh, national TV, just the Joe and Joe. I just wish your voice was out there. I, I, um, you know, my, my, my only thought is this, although maybe some folks, even in the Catholic world or many in the Catholic world would see this podcast and say, oh, those are just three loud guys, two Italians and a guy who's half Italian, half Irish. The fact is, <laughs> we love everybody. Every, I don't care what stripe you are. I don't care. It doesn't matter. We're lovers. Italians are lovers. I, I, I love everybody. So we just, we just speak the way we do out of our zeal and great love for truth in Jesus Christ. And, and, and he asked us to, so we need to do it. So, so <laughs> invite us to your house for dinner. We're, we, it'll be good. We can switch gears and talk about whatever else. Um, so as far as, um, I do encourage your, your listener to, um, or your viewer to, um, to read Priest and Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Um, he's, 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 he's astonishing. I'll use that word. He's startling. His life was startling. So they can, they can find the book uh, at ignatius.com or priestandbeggar.com. That's priestandbeggar.com. And, and, and I, I'll be remiss. And, and also, if you want to you know, see what I'm doing, where I'm traveling, or you want to have me out to your parish, go to kevinwells.org. Last thing, Joe, really quick, Joe's Father Al did start this, this organization, World Villages for Children, where he took the most abused kids, took them in to these boys' towns and girls' towns. And today there's 21,000 in Korea, Tanzania, Philippines, Brazil. It takes a lot of money to feed 21,000 kids each day cornflakes, all right, to feed them, to put on soccer cleats, buy violins, pay the teachers. Um, there's 400 nuns, there's 21,000 kids today, as we speak, being cared for by what Father Al started in post-war Korea. I beg, I beg, I beg, I beg your, your viewer to go into worldvillages.org to see what I believe. I, <laughs> it's on the top of my tithe list. It's, it's at the top when I learned about Father Al. I didn't know anything about World Villages or Father Al. When I went down there and discovered so, so think about giving to worldvillages.org. Absolutely, Kevin Wells. We want to thank you so much for joining us on the front line with Joe and Joe. We will definitely have you back. We'd love to have you back. We're going to do five podcasts and still not get to everything we could talk about. Thank you all for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 1039 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please follow Joe and I, particularly on YouTube at the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We will talk to you soon. <laughs>